Welcome back, everybody, to the fourth episode of Through the Mic, where we give artists a platform to talk about the things they're passionate about and give gems on life, liberty, and happiness. Uh, We are your hosts. My name is Malcolm Callender. And I am Will Ehrenfreund. And I am Jay Mazak. Yes. (laughs) Joining us on the show today. Yes. Jay is an actor, a playwright, a fantastic playwright, and most importantly, Mac and I's friend and collaborator at school, so we're super happy to have him yes, on with yes, us hosting yes. this episode. You look beautiful today. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then we also have another very, very special guest who I am personally such a fan of mm-hmm. as a black mm-hmm. queer playwright. And his name is Danye Arlove. Let's give it up. Yes. Hello, King. Hey. How's it going? How's it going? It's going good. I mean, I'm here. Yeah. I'm living. I'm breathing. Mm-hmm. No complaints. Even though the world is crazy as fuck. Wait, can I curse on here? Of course you can. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Dude, okay. Dude, please. Even though the world is crazy as fuck, I am living and breathing and uh, doing okay. How, mm-hmm. how have these last couple of days been for you since the all the stuff with the election? Right. Um. The last few days actually has been pretty okay. Um, mm-hmm. I am fierce with protecting my well-being yeah. and with cultivating joy uh, and navigating self-care. So with that being said, uh, what I did last week after uh, Tuesday is I put an uh, away message up uh, in my uh, email. And essentially the away message just said, uh, due to white supremacy and anti-black racism and how it constantly manifests in my life, particularly around the election, around the election I, I am a black days. And so if you have to reach out to me, if there's anything urgent, I pray you figure it out because I won't be answering any emails. Um, and so saying that to say, anybody who reached out to me for work or whatever the case may be, like they knew from the gate that I wasn't entertaining anything but myself. Um, and I even posted it on my social medias right. so uh, folks can know. And people actually really took to it. Like projects that I'm working on currently, people who are reaching out to me, uh, they didn't get a response and they mm-hmm. waited until this week uh, for me to respond back and they absolutely got it. And so I, I say that to say I actually was okay during um, the nonsense of the election because I did what I needed to do to make sure that my well-being is protected. Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. Amen. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, let me 
for the people who don't know who Danya is, I have mm. to read like all of these accolades right. and all the things that Danya has done real quick. Um, this is from the Juilliard biography page. Um, oh, <laughs> Danya R. Love is an Afro queer playwright, poet, and filmmaker from Philadelphia, Philly. He writes specifically about black and queer folks for black and queer folk. He's the recipient of the 2018 Lawrence Hatcher Foundation Award, the 2017 Princess Grace Playwriting Award. He's the Lark's 2016 Van Leer New Voices Playwriting Fellow, the Playwrights uh, Realm's 2016-2017 Writing Fellow, and the 2011 Philadelphia Adult Grand Slam Poetry Champion, y'all. His work has been developed at Manhattan Theater Club, Rising Circle Theater, The Lark, and The Playwrights Realm. He's the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, personally, Off Book. Love that podcast. Um, theater's uh, only black podcast. And he's the co-founder of The Each Other Project an organization that helps build community and provide visibility through art and advocacy for LGBTQ people of color. His plays include Fireflies, Sugar in Our Wounds, One and Two, and Soft. Dine in my love. Just, a, just like a light bio. Right. Just like on an average weekend. <laughs> That's that. You, you read the hell out of that bio. I've had some people read my bios and they are all over the place butchering it. And it was just so smooth and easy breezy coming out of your mouth. You did that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Through. <laughs> <laughs> you did that. Right. Um, so, Danya, we wanted to start at the beginning. The beginning, get to the middle, and then let's look at the future. But so for right now, we wanted to know, you are someone who was diagnosed with HIV. And for the people who may not know or may not know you very well, we wanted to talk to you about what was it like coming to terms with HIV and eventually using it for amplifying stories with other people with HIV. I... I was diagnosed with HIV December 13th of 2008, right? And so I'm actually approaching the 12-year marker of my um, diagnosis. And it was hard. Like, it was hard as fuck. Uh, Especially it was during a time, well, anyone being diagnosed with HIV, uh, it can be uh, a very difficult transition, uh, with that being said, when I was diagnosed, it was 12 years ago. This was pre-PrEP, which is uh, uh, medicine for HIV-negative individuals to take um, so that they don't contract the virus. Uh, and so it was pre-PrEP. It was pre-so many uh, individuals being into a, being in a space of being vocal and advocating and before social media was what it is right now to disseminate so much information, right? So it was pre all of those things. Mm -hmm. And so I really didn't have information. And uh, we live in a world, we live in a society, I'm in an educational system where they don't give us the information that we really need, right? Like in terms of practicing safer sex, in terms of sex ed, like those things aren't in school. Mm -hmm. And so you have so many young individuals who are, learning on their own 
what their sexuality is and what sex means, right? Because so many things are taboo. So of all of that being said, I was completely unaware. I had no knowledge of HIV and AIDS and what it means to live with HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. So I was fucking terrified. I and my my terror and my fear manifested in depression. It manifested in alcoholism. Mm. It manifested in suicidal ideation. So all of these things for years were part of my story and how I literally navigated the world. I would wake up uh, every morning for such a long time, really upset with the guy that I woke up. Uh, and so that was my entire mind frame. And I was honestly a very toxic person. I didn't like being around myself. So I can only imagine other people didn't like being around me because of just the toxicity uh, that I had and that I existed within. And it got to a point where I had to choose myself. I had to see myself as a fully realized person, right? Even living with HIV, I'm a fully realized person uh, that is desired, mm. that is lovable, mm. um, that is the fullness of my entire self. And what helped me get to that point on top of having an amazing support system was writing. Mm. I always wrote uh, whether it was poems or short stories or monologues. But when I was diagnosed, I actually took writing seriously, specifically playwriting. And it helped me navigate through what it means to be uh, HIV positive. And that for me was and still is my saving grace. And that's where I'm at right now in terms of just having more authority over my diagnosis, not only being a survivor, but also being a thriver, right? And knowing how amazing I am and the fullness of myself as somebody living with uh, HIV and knowing how I am fully capable of being loved. I'm fully capable of being desired. All of these things can coexist as being someone who is HIV positive. Right. That's amazing. And hearing your story and hearing your words, it makes me think about all of the young queer boys at the moment who are struggling with that sense of identity and don't really know where they might fit in. So it makes me think about the idea of power and vulnerability. Because I'll say this, if I woke up one day to learn that I was, contra that I had HIV, I would be struggling with that sense of power. And I would be struggling with being vulnerable with myself. Mm. How, what would you say to, young children who are might be feeling that at the moment mm. yeah well uh, 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 a, a few things come to mind uh one of the things that come to mind is uh for you to say if i woke up and discovered or learned that i was hiv positive like that sentence within itself is a sentence of privilege right because there are so many folks who wake up and who are HIV positive, right? It's not a hypothetical of if I woke up and it is I am waking up and this is my existence, right? So just the very nature of that question is a hypothetical. And I'm really interested in unpacking and discovering, like, what does it look like? when we don't even have to have that hypothetical, right? Like, what does it look like when folks don't have to say, if I woke up and I found out that I was HIV positive, because there is no stigma and there is no shame around what it means to be HIV positive, right? So when, when I say just the very privilege of you saying that, you are in a privileged space because so many of us who navigate living with HIV 
are susceptible to so much stigma because of the misinformation around what it means to be HIV positive, because of the shame that comes with being HIV positive because of what the world puts on us. And then that goes to my, the second part of uh, your question, which is what would I say to folks who are struggling, who are navigating through? Uh, the struggle is not yours. Mm-hmm. I know you are living with it. But literally, the struggle comes from outside sources. Mm. It comes from individuals who do not know, who has not experienced your life, who has not walked in your shoes. So they think that your walk should be a certain way. Mm. They think that your destination should be a certain point, right? Because they have no idea. And because we are historically oppressed people, when I say we, I'm talking about black people. I'm talking about queer people. I'm talking about HIV positive people. I'm talking about trans people. I'm talking about disabled folks. These people who have been historically marginalized and oppressed, we unfortunately feel all the brunt of the oppression. We feel the brunt of what everyone has to say. So for us, we're the ones, quote unquote, struggling. But the gag of it is, is that the struggle is coming from everybody else. It's just placed on us because we're the ones that don't have the level of power, if that makes sense. Yeah. I wanted to ask about the, um, because I know right now you're, I, th- I believe you're leading a, a playwriting group with mm-hmm. um, positive folk. And I'm interested in how that group and hearing those narratives from different from different people, how is that affecting you? And maybe some of the if you had any leftover stigmas, um, even even 12 years after the diagnosis? Uh, so with the, the, the Playwrights Program, Write It Out, uh, which is a playwrights program, like you said, for writers living with HIV. Mm-hmm. Y'all, it is lit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is it. Uh-huh. Like, I, I every time I am in this class, we meet every uh, Tuesday and Thursday, twice a week, um, I'm just overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I'm overwhelmed to be in the presence of so many phenomenal writers. Like mm-hmm. I know that I'm the instructor, mm-hmm. uh, but what I told to my writers at the very top of this thing, yes, I may be the instructor, but I'm also a student and y'all will be teaching me. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much from these writers. They are absolutely phenomenal and they give me so much hope for what the what the future of theater will look like because they are not fucking around. Mm. They got some stories to tell and they are not holding any punches and they do it with so much eloquence. Mm. They do it with so much skill and so much technique and so much compassion and so much grace and so much softness. It is amazing to be in that uh, room every single Tuesday and Thursday. And it's uh, amazing. This is the first time in my uh, entire journey of living with HIV, that I've been in a space with all writers who are also HIV positive. Like that is our common thread. There are other things that we have in common, whether it's sexuality, whether it's gender, whether it's ethnicity, uh, whatever the case may be, we also have other things in common. But this major common thread of being HIV positive is amazing. And I remember uh, early on, uh, I share with uh, all of the writers because what we do at the top of every class is we just share like how we're feeling or how our day has been mm-hmm. uh, so far before we got into the class. And everyone does this at the top of every class. It's like our really uh, bonding, opening ritual sort of thing. And so I shared that earlier that day, I got blood work done. And that blood work that I got done that day was 
it wore me the fuck out. Mm. Uh, the nurse couldn't find my vein. And so she spent like probably a good five minutes just poking me with the needle, trying to find my vein to draw blood. Mm-hmm. She was drawing blood for about five minutes. I had to fill five test tubes with my blood. And so I didn't have to say all of that that I just said to you all, mm-hmm. to my writers. Yeah, all I said yeah. was today I had to get blood work done. And collectively, mm-hmm. everyone went, <sighs> because they all got it. Right. So they all knew what it meant and what it was about. And I didn't have to explain like I just did because they all got it because this is something that's a part of all of our journey. So I say that to say it is one of the best experiences that I've had in this fuckery of a year that feels <laughs> yeah. like it's been 25 years. Um, and it's also one of the best experiences that I've had just in my entire life um, and what it means to be in community, how powerful community is. Uh, so yeah, it's lit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to know being with your playwright group, being in this year and the wild and, but yet incredible journey you've had for the past 12 years. I want to know how has your faith or relationship with God, how has that changed? How has that grown? Like, how does, how, how has it been? Um, y'all are asking a question. <laughs> y'all said I got some questions on today. My faith and my relationship uh, with God has grown uh, immensely. I've grown closer um, with God, and I uh, uh, gravitate more so towards the term uh, "the Great I Am." Mm-hmm. Uh, towards the divine because uh, I remember hearing which I find to be so true when when we hear uh, the word God there is a being there is an image that comes to mind mm-hmm. right of what God looks like versus when we hear the great I am when we hear the divine when we hear that being there really is no visual reference point. So the great I am, the divine, that being can look like anything and it can look like anyone. So I find myself gravitating more towards uh, the great I am and my connection with the great I am, with the divine has grown immensely. It made me softer. Uh, it made me understand the power of community more. Uh, it made me understand how I am exactly who I'm meant to be. And there were no mistakes made with me, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, it gave me power and it gave me authority in my diagnosis to understand that that literally was a part of my journey mm-hmm. and how I knew that it was a part of my journey uh, and that it was destined was when I was younger. And when I say younger, around between six to about nine years old, I had a severe stuttering problem mm-hmm. to the point where how I'm talking right now, I would not be talking like this. Right. I actually wouldn't be talking at all. Right. I would literally write down all of my responses to your questions mm-hmm. because that's how severe my stutter was and how I just did not like to hear my voice. And the writing became literally my voice when I was a little boy. Mm -hmm. I never thought anything of it. I just thought this was how I expressed myself through writing. Mm 
And then fast forward to as I became a teenager and a young adult, getting into uh, poetry, getting into spoken word, never thought anything of it, just, oh, I like writing, right? I like expressing myself this way. And then fast forward some more to when I was diagnosed, it was literally for me, the great I am, literally having to smack me upside the head and said, boy, didn't I tell you you were a writer? Mm-hmm. When you were a little boy, I was trying to tell you you were a writer. Mm-hmm. When you were a teenager, I was trying to tell you you were a writer. Mm-hmm. You went to school, thought you wanted to be somebody's actor, mm-hmm. and now I got to like throw all this at you to let you know that you are a writer. Mm-hmm. And it took me being diagnosed with HIV to get me on the journey of being a playwright to look in retrospect like, oh, everything that happened beforehand was aligning me mm-hmm. with this greater purpose, and it took my diagnosis for me to understand it took the great i am Mm. putting me in this position to understand what my purpose actually is damn the great i am that reminds me of the color purple yeah 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 i'm not yeah that's what it is um come through color purple which is actually like my favorite book (laughs) oh my goodness the book my grandma has a copy of it and she gave it to me about a month ago alice walker did the thing yeah 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 um i want to talk to you about your voice and how did your voice how did you preserve that voice being in an institution like juilliard um because i've never me personally um i'm starting to take playwriting classes and i find it very hard when teachers are teaching us about structure and we're reading plays and we're dissecting them and they're giving us notes in our work, um, how to preserve the, the rawness that, that I was born with, that the great I am endowed me with, um, through all of this sort of like institutionalized way of, of writing. So how did you preserve your voice in Juilliard? Um, a few things. The first thing is keeping it real. That what you have, right? You talked about the rawness, that talent, that will never go away. No matter what folks try to do, no matter what they say, that will never go away. It may be harder to access, but it will always be there, right? And understanding that first and foremost, no matter what motherfuckers try to do, no matter what they say, that divine thing within you, Right. That is your voice that makes you who you are as an artist will always, always be there. Right. So that's the first thing. And then also when I uh, got accepted into school, I was already in a certain place in my career. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had an idea. It wasn't as clear as it is now, if I can be honest, but I had an idea of who I was mm-hmm. and what I wanted to write about. So when I went to school, I already had that knowledge, right? I already had the understanding. And I made it very clear to my professors and to my cohorts that I write about my niggas. Period. I literally, <laughs> every single time when I shared my work, when folks wanted to pop off and didn't know how to talk about my work, mm-hmm. I shared that this is not for you. Yeah. This is literally yeah. for my niggas. That's what I'm writing about, mm-hmm. Right. And you are, and you need to consider yourself privileged to experience such an authentic work about blackness. Mm. I made that perfectly clear from the get go. And we, and we should not have to waver on that whatsoever. Right. As black people, we don't need to waver on that. As queer people, as HIV positive folks, right. As trans individuals, we should not have to waver 
on what our stories are and who our stories are for, right? So going into school, I made that perfectly clear to the point where I'm, I'm sure I wore a lot of motherfuckers out, <laughs> but they was A-OK. <laughs> they was A-OK in the process. So I think those are really important things to think about. And when you when you ask the question about voice, I'm, I'm always really interested and what does someone mean by voice? Mm-hmm. Because I don't necessarily think, and this may be a bit like, mm, that's interesting, that's controversial, that whatever the case may be. I don't necessarily know if writers specifically has um, a voice, mm-hmm. right? There are certain things uh, that writers do, uh, how writers write that uh, is a marker of who that writer is, but what I'm more so compelled and what I always think about other than a writer having a voice, um, is what is a writer trying to say? Yeah. Like, what is that question that you are trying to ask? Mm -hmm. Which I think is more important Mm -hmm. in my humble opinion than what is your voice? Mm -hmm. What question are you trying to ask? Because if you are very specific with the question, then you will know what you're trying to write about, right? Mm-hmm. When I think about my play, Sugar Our Wounds, that explored queer love during the time of enslavement, mm-hmm. I was really specific in wanting to know what did queerness look like during the time of enslavement? Mm-hmm. I was really specific yeah. with that question. With my play, One and Two, I was really interested and curious in what does HIV look like to the black queer community today, mm-hmm. right? And so... My voice naturally came through because of the questions that I was interrogating, of the question that I was exploring. So when I think about you asking about voice, I throw that back to you and ask, what questions are you trying to ask in your writing, right? Mm-hmm. And going outside of just a writer, as a director, what questions mm-hmm. are you trying to explore in your work? As an actor, what work gravitate towards you, right? Or what, what, what work do you gravitate towards, right? Like these are, I think, more important things than figuring out a voice mm-hmm. or, or, or figuring out like an artistry mm-hmm. is what questions are you trying to ask? Because quite naturally, as we evolve, as we grow, our voices change. Mm-hmm. Our voices change. Our mission will change, right? But the one thing that won't change is asking questions. Mm. So I think that's the most important thing as an artist is asking the questions and knowing what questions you're trying to ask for whatever work you're trying to create. Let me write that down. Yeah, yeah. We got to take notes out here. <laughs> My man's dropping gems. Um, Seriously. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I want to ask you, are you ever nervous when you write and then you give it to a director and you give it to actors to now embody. What is that process of feeling, okay, this is a story? Because your plays, your writing is so personal. It's made with love. And yeah. all jokes or puns, whatever, aside, you feel the love in your words. So, but what is it like to give it to now other bodies and other souls to embrace? Thank you so much for that. Um it is, it's a, it's a lot of things. It's, it's beautiful and it's exciting and it's terrifying. Yeah. It is absolutely terrifying. Like quite naturally, 
when whatever it is, when you share something that means so much to you, uh, that you spent time to create with anybody, it doesn't matter who it is, that thing is exciting. That thing mm-hmm. is terrifying. And so uh, whenever I share work, and even when it's not on such a large scale as getting ready for a production, right? Um, my husband, he reads every draft of everything that I write. God bless him. Uh, <laughs> when I share it with him, I'm terrified. I'm excited, but I'm also nervous as fuck of, is he going to like this? Mm. And I think that's what it always boils down to with anybody. Are they going to like it? Mm. Right. Are they going to understand it? Right. Specifically, when I think about writing for my uh, communities, that's the most important thing. Will my keeping it very real is will my people fuck with it? Mm. Like, will they fuck with it? Will they like it? Will they feel seen? Um, and so whenever I think about sharing my work, like those are the things that's always going through my head of like, will my people like it? Like, will they get it? Will they feel seen in it? Uh, so yeah, that, that always goes to my mind. And that's something that I don't think will ever go away. It doesn't matter like where you are in your journey, even though you make it, uh, have more comfort, have more confidence, but that part of you will always be there because you're spending time creating something that you're sharing with people. You created something that never existed in the world before and you're presenting it to the world. And that's a scary, beautiful, thrilling, exciting, petrifying thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. Um, do you, I think this is a good time for you to ask your question about sugar in our wounds and sticking. Oh, Lord Jesus. We, we, so now we want to talk about your work, your beautiful, wonderful work. I saw one and two last year at the new group and we read mm-hmm. sugar in our womb. So we want to talk about some of the things that made those plays so impactful. Yes. So, yeah. so Jay, first, let me just start off by saying. <laughs> Sugar in our wounds destroyed me. Destroyed yes, well. all of yes, us. Well. And destroyed I was just so, so upset. Graceful. I was like, how can he present me with this much beauty and this much love? <laughs> and then just rip it right from me. But I mean, it's it still, I, I felt that and then was still encapsulated so much beauty and so much love as the other more, uh, hopeful or joyful moments in the play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my question is to you, how did you take these what was the process of taking, you know, queer characters, black queer characters, and sort of digging them up in these historical time periods where we don't necessarily have a lot of information or the information is very hidden um, from us? So what was the what was the research and the process of rediscovering those those narratives? Yeah, but, um, it was it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot because as as I'm sure uh, you may be able to imagine that it's, it's not a lot of material out there. It's not a lot of information uh, <laughs> out there because, again, uh, just speaking truth, that that information wasn't recorded, mm. right? Like that information, if it was, it was erased. Mm. And so I had to, um, I spent a lot of the time at the Schomburg uh, library in Harlem, um, just like looking over uh, art 
articles and essays and just reading so much, spending time online. Uh, uh, I, I spend a lot of time in libraries. Mm. I like reading over information. And then also knowing at the same time, I didn't want to create something that was didactic, right? I didn't want to create a history lesson. Right. I wanted to like create a story of human beings. So with all of the information that I gathered, that I acquired, mm-hmm. still knowing that my job as a writer, um, as a, as a dramatist was not to create a history lesson with, but to create a story about human beings, to create a story essentially about relationships. Cause at the end of the day, that's what all plays are about. They're about relationships. So creating a story about relationships, um, but yeah, the, the the process of like discovering, uh, finding out information was really hard because it wasn't uh, much material out there. Um, and a lot of the information that I found, if I can be honest, was uh, during the time of enslavement came from the perspective of an enslaved man mm-hmm. with a slave master. And I wasn't interested in that narrative at all. Mm-hmm. I was very interested in the narrative of uh, two black enslaved men falling in love with each other, right? Not it being this coerced uh, relationship, not it being uh, this assaultive relationship, mm-hmm. right? Or uh, this relationship where there is power dynamics at play, this relationship where two people um, on the same playing field fall in love with each other mm-hmm. quite naturally and organically. Uh, and it was really hard to find that material, right? Like most of the things that I found was of the former of enslaved men uh, in a relationship with uh, their owner. Uh, but in terms of like two enslaved men, like that was like 0.00001% mm. in my like findings. Um, so I really had to use my imagination to create these things. What I did say, what I, what I will say, what I discovered that was so helpful and it blew my mind in the process was uh, I came across someone's i believe it might have been someone's either thesis or dissertation Mm. and it talked about the middle passage and it talked about specifically which made so much sense i was like why did i not think about this but that's the beauty of research right uh i realized from reading this uh individual's work that during the middle passage what happens sometimes is because uh these uh captured africans were so close on these slave ships that quite naturally intimate moments happened, mm. right? Because like these two men are so close to each other for such a long point of time, mm. their bodies touching in such intimate ways that quite naturally romantic, sexualized things happened. Mm. And so just thinking about like all of those things, let me know that I am actually on the right path. And what I'm writing about is true, not just from my queer point of view, knowing that I existed beyond my existence, Mm -hmm. but also like seeing it and writing and hearing it through like a historical lens. I mean, okay, Daniel, you're on the right track with with a story like this. Wow. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I actually have a question for you, Danye. I'm sorry I haven't been speaking a lot. I'm just kind of bathing in your grace and (laughs) listening with intent. Um, But you do such a beautiful job of, of writing for your community, as you said, putting your hu- very human experiences into your, into your work. Um, but at the same time, last night, 
and reading your work last night and this morning, read it twice, um, I felt such a connection to my spirit and my I am um, in a way that not a lot of plays touch me. And it, it's it's really fascinating because I couldn't be on the surface farther from um, your community. You know, I'm a, I'm a raised middle-class white, uh, not queer so far, um, uh, in, in my journey. <laughs> um, and yet I felt such a human connection to that. And I love the way you worded the, the, I am. So I guess my question is, you say you write for your community, but obviously you write for the universe. But what do I need to know going into your theater, going into reading your work as somebody who maybe can't relate to um, or just isn't educated about the the human stuff your work and your life has, has dealt with? Uh, that's a really good question. And... Again, y'all are not playing around with these questions. <laughs> I am loving it. I'm loving it. Uh, I would say, and, and you already, um, touched on and in a way for me, like answered the question already, which is like going and knowing that this work is not intended for you. Right. Right. Like this work is actually intended for another group of individuals, right. a group of, a group of individuals who historically seldom see themselves represented right so i think that's the most important thing yeah. because if you go in there thinking that like this is for you mm. and then you're like i don't see myself anywhere in this story you you're gonna be like what boy. the fuck is going on <laughs> yeah. so i think already going in knowing that this is not a story that was written for me mm. right but i'm still welcomed to the story, mm -hmm. I think is the answer to the question, right? So that when you sit in a seat, when you open up the pages, you're already positioned with a certain mind frame that helps you navigate through the story better, right? Instead of thinking that it's for you and when you're reading it, when you're watching it, you're just thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't see myself anywhere in this. Instead, going in there with, I know that this isn't for me but I'm still going to open myself up to yes. be available to the yes. story. Yes. Right. I think that's how someone like you, right. Who may not be directly related and who may not directly see themselves represented can open themselves up because then what we're talking about is humanity, right. right. What we're talking right. about is being able to see a connection in individuals that we may not think that we're connected with. And I think that's the beauty of storytelling and what we do as artists and as human beings. Right. And jumping off of Will's question, this happens when someone sees your play and, and reads your work. And I'm wondering, how do we begin to, heading into 2021, how do we control conduct ourselves when we're in an environment of people who don't think the same way as us? And how can we begin to safely but effectively catch them or, or, or pin out when they say something out of line or, or out of place to lead to a better future? Because I said, I heard in an interview you did last year, you said, 
the the key to a better future is a stigma free world. Mm. And you you really go by that. You even mentioned it in this interview a couple of times. A stigma free world. So how do we going into the next year take that on into when we go into different work environments and really start to I don't want to say the wrong word. Really start to just bring that energy into people who don't see your plays. Right. Um, and so I'm going to whip out my best Yolanda Adams realness. <laughs> it, it's the Lord's. Mm. Literally. Like every single, uh, you can expect to touch every single body that you encounter. You cannot expect to touch every single person you encounter. You cannot expect to change every single person that you encounter, right? What you can do is be the best version of yourself, right? Like what you can do is always be soft with yourself. That's why going back to the very top of this uh, conversation, when I said last week what my away message was, that was me protecting myself. Mm -hmm. That was me wanting to make sure through all of the bullshit that was happening last week during the election, I was still being the best version of myself. I was being soft with myself. So I think when we think about what it means to uh, build community with folks who may not necessarily uh, have the same experience or the same point of view as we do, we have to remember ourselves first and foremost, mm-hmm. like because it is life or death. Yeah. We have to remember ourselves First and foremost, because if somebody has a point of view of, oh, I don't like peanut butter and jelly. I like this more. That's something different versus somebody coming in here saying, oh, I don't think queer people should have the right to exist. I don't think queer people should marry. I don't think trans people Mm -hmm. should have the right to exist. Right. That's something completely different than saying I like chocolate ice cream over vanilla ice cream like those are completely different things right and so it's 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 going in with understanding and have an idea of what the conversation is if the conversation is about people's existence and people not having the right to exist then the individuals who experience the brunt of that the individuals who as we talked about earlier are struggling with that we have the option to engage or not. Mm. And it's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? I am not going to choose this battle because it's not mine. I will leave it to the Lord. <laughs> Someone else may come later on in this person's journey and help educate them, but I am not the one today because they might have me fucked up and they might get fucked up. Mm-hmm. And that's very real, right? Mm-hmm. So just understanding that we are individuals who are in the position of having to struggle, right? We are in the position of are we going to take up this battle or not? And it's okay if we don't. But at the end of the day, the most important thing through it all is being soft with yourself. Because if you're soft with yourself in the process, quite naturally, that is going to permeate and softness will come through to others as well. Because you are taking the time mm-hmm. to take care of yourself and making sure that you are well. So I think that is the most important thing, knowing that we don't have to fight every single battle, but what we do have to do is take care of ourselves. Mm. Well, you use the word soft, and that brings me to um, the the piece that was at Williamstown is about to be um, exposed to the world. 
um, soft. And you talk about uh, the the questions, the specific questions that you ask with these plays. So if you can talk about soft a little bit and what is the question that you are asking with that play? And so I, so soft um, is a play that I've been working on for almost 12 years now. It was Mm -hmm. one of the first plays I started writing after being diagnosed. And so to date out of my like arsenal of plays, it is the only play that has changed with me, that ha- that has evolved with me since I've been working on it for 12 years. So as I grew, the play grew as well. And essentially, uh, the play is about a group of um, black and brown boys in, uh, uh, in a juvenile correctional center. Mm. And it explores the, the school-to-prison pipeline. And it, it explores... Um, what does the prison industrial complex looks like to black and brown boys and specifically boys who have been men, individuals who have been uh, forced to be so hard. Mm-hmm. And what does it look like to be able to find the softness in yourself? And like, that's the question that the play is asking what, when a world relegates you and tries to make you hard, what do you do to find the softness? How find your softness, um, and so like that's what the play explores, and that's what the play is uh, about. And we also explore and talk about like black joy because joy is resistance, mm-hmm. right? Being able to see these like black and brown uh, males just have a good time, right? Being able to be soft with each other, and on on top of all the bullshit that the world has thrown their way. They're saying that I see that, I acknowledge that, but I'm still choosing. Even if I'm not acknowledging it, even if I'm not conscious of it, I'm still choosing softness. Mm. Um, And that's what soft explores. And I'm so excited uh, that the world, the folks uh, will get to experience uh, the play and all of the beauty that's Mm. in the play, all of the love that's in the play, all the softness that's uh, in the play Mm. that will hopefully be pushed out into the world oh i can't wait i really can't wait i know yeah i didn't i didn't know that i didn't know that either and that shit sounds dope and it sounds like it's gonna destroy me the same way sugar in our wounds destroy yeah me. yeah yeah um when it comes to sugar in our wombs what was that softness for henry and james and what was it like writing that relationship and dynamic mm-hmm. um it was a really good question uh the the softness uh, for Henry and James was um, them being able to not so much find each other, uh, but find family in the other. Mm-hmm. It was them being able uh, to find themselves in the other as well, right? Thinking about uh, this individual and just like literally now, this just looking at it um, in a like archetypal lens. If we think about James being this like brainy character mm-hmm. who loves to read, who can write, who can do all of these things, and James being this strong, uh, uh, masculine character, right? Uh, these two individuals to their world, right? Them sharing that side of themselves with the other. And I was really interested in what does that look like? And what does it look like to grow uh, not just the other person, 
but to grow yourself. Um, it's so funny. I uh, started, well, when I was at Williamstown last year, it was the first time I started hiking. Um, but like I got serious with it mm. uh, this summer. Um, and on Sunday, since it was so beautiful, um, abnormally beautiful for it to be November, uh, my husband and I went hiking and I posted photos um, on my social media. And a friend of mine said, it is so beautiful when you meet somebody that helps you grow. Because she, you know, like my husband loves adventure. He <laughs> bikes all the time. Like he loves all of that shit. Yeah. Give me a bid and Netflix or a book and I am good. <laughs> I am a true homebody. <laughs> and what my friend was commenting on, which is what I'm also talking about and sugaring our wounds, when you meet somebody that helps you grow, when you meet somebody that makes you grow. Um, cause I don't know if I would have been the hiking type climbing mountains and doing all of this shorter shit if it wasn't for my husband he helped me grow right and i think that's what henry and james uh were doing with each other and to answer the other part of your question is what did i learn uh about sugar in our wounds it was just that being able to find somebody uh, to help you grow and seeing it through a historical lens right like knowing that i come from a long line of beautiful men who loved each other specifically during that time where they had absolutely no rights at all, but they still found a way to love each other. Mm. They still found a way to say, I see you and I am literally going to risk it all for you because that's how much I love you because that's how you make me softer and you help me grow. Like that lets me know that, Oh, it's okay for me to be who I am because I come from ancestors who risked everything to love each other that I will stand on my two feet right now and say, I am a black queer man and this is who I am. And it's no shame in my game. Yes. I I was just thinking like a powerful hour. (laughs) Like, Oh my. So, Oh yeah. Let let me ask you, cause this is my last personal question. This is about, um, the writers that you connect to living or dead. Um, yeah, living or dead, that you wanted to like either give a shout out to, or if you wanted to recommend to anybody, um, the writers that you connect to. And that, I was gonna, I, that I was literally thinking yeah. that question. Yeah, your work that's like any any authors or mm-hmm. any of this. Yeah, stage. um, oh, it's so many, y'all. It's so many. Uh, and so I'll I'll try to keep it super short, super sweet. Um, Tony Morrison. Oh. And like, I'm, I'm taking it beyond. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Tony Morrison, uh, <laughs> comes to mind. Like, she is a brilliant mind. Mm-hmm. And I find so much. She gives me power. Mm-hmm. And she gives me the authority to be who I am and to be unapologetic in who I am. Mm-hmm. I think about, uh, this amazing, um, Ghanaian American writer named Ya Jesse. Mm-hmm. Who is real? I'm gonna be writing this down. Phenomenal. Um, she has uh, she has two novels. One is called Homegoing, uh, yeah. which is I never connected to a book in such a way mm-hmm. as I did with Yaya Jesse's Homegoing. Um, she has another book called Transcendent Kingdom, which is equally gorgeous. They come to mind. Um, 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 Tarava McCraney, mm-hmm. uh, who I absolutely love who gave me power, who liberated me uh, to be a queer black writer. Um, I think about Erica Dickerson Dispenza, 
who is an amazing playwright. Um, I think about Jordani Cooper, mm-hmm. who is an amazing writer and human being. Uh, Michael R. Jackson, uh, Tennessee Williams, I am absolutely in love with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's absolutely amazing because I and specifically he would say the stage directions are like a love letter to the audience Mm -hmm. they don't hear the stage directions but if you do them well they'll be able to feel the stage directions so that that liberated me when i write my plays and when i think about my stage directions no the audience won't hear my stage directions but if i put love into them they'll be able to feel the stage directions um so those are some of the writers that i truly go up for um and guzzi and yangu another amazing ass playwright like these are people who are doing the damn thing. Alicia Harris, um, oh, writers yeah. who are doing yeah, yeah. the damn thing, who just makes me feel uh, excited and liberated, and not just my artistry, but in my humanity as well. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Ooh, that just did something to my spirit. I know, right? <laughs> it's always a good episode when we have to take notes. Because <laughs> like, we know your work, and we know you well enough to want you on the show and to have a conversation. But when you say things that we didn't, I'm like, oh, wow, I got to start writing this down. Um, Are there any? I, I have one final question that I want to uh, So, But you guys. Okay, so um, we want to say thank you for being you. Thank you for being here, as always. As we conclude this episode... I always like to ask our guests like silly but like serious questions and my question for you As is life is yeah yeah I am deeply invested in astrology I love anything astrology I'm such a nerd for it so I want to know what does your planet look like if you had to design your own planet Anything and everything is considered. What, what do you see when you close your eyes and think about your planet? Oh my goodness, we are doing this imagine work. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Um, you have to. I would say on my planet, uh, it would always be about probably 85 degrees. Um, it has to be warm. I despise the cold, so it will always be warm. I'm on have to like that. Yeah. That is absolute go to. It has to be warm right. um, on this planet. Um, just thinking about just hiking uh, this past weekend and like this summer. Um, I also and I, I love nature as well. Mm-hmm. So I would love trees. I would love mountains, sand. I love the water. I don't know how to swim at all. I am that black person who cannot swim (laughs) for the life of me. Uh, But I still love me some water. Um, So I would love beautiful water that, like, when you walk in, you can just see the bottom of it. Um, This may be a little weird, but I would love to. uh, We have a cat. And I'd be be like, what are you thinking? Like, what are you thinking right now? Because it seems like you're being shady. Are you being shady? Let me hear your thoughts. So I would love to be able for, like, humans and other species uh, to be able to, like, communicate with each other. Um, I I also think, like, that would make things... Mm -hmm. 
being hippie peeping out, talking to trees and plants. Um, so like those are things that I, I think about. Um, I would want a place where truly everybody is equal, right? There is no hierarchy. Mm. Every single no body is equal. And this is the thing that I'm not a hundred percent sure of. Um, like last night I was up really late going down this like YouTube spiral, but then also at the same time I was up late cause I was just thinking about, this is about to sound so crazy and morbid, but I was thinking about death, mm-hmm. um, because that's a part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have been just navigating through my fears of death, not so much like my death, but people that I love. Mm-hmm. specifically 2020 has been such a horrific year where there has been so much death mm-hmm. like to the point where uh we all truly need to go to therapy like even before 2020 we needed to go to like therapy to unpack things but especially this year with the amount of death that has been happening um, I, it has been just like sitting in my spirit. So I say all that to say, uh, in this like imagined planet. And I don't, I don't know if I am a hundred percent fucking with this in my planet or not. Uh, but I'm curious of like what it will look like where people don't die. Mm. Um, I don't know. Like I know death mm. is a part of life. Um, how important that is because at the end of the day, it also gives you. us something I to live you. for, mm. right? Because we know that there is an end coming. Um, so that's also something I would be really interested in and like what that planet would like look like, or if death wasn't as painful or if it was a smoother transition, I don't know. Those things also come to mind with this. This might be a hard question, but you, you mentioned it and I really need to ask you this, but, uh, if you had the option not to die, would you take it? I would, I think I would say no. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I would say no because with that question, I don't know if I would be the only one given that option. Right. Because mm-hmm. right, right. my loved ones would not be here anymore. Right. And it would be me hundreds of years later by myself. Of course, I'd be able to meet other people, but my mom wouldn't be here, my dad, my like husband. Like, yeah, I don't think. I would take it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so as we conclude this episode, I do have one more question, but I'm not, I don't want to ask it to you or anybody else in the room. I want to ask it for all the listeners as we sign off for today. I want to ask, when you see animals, deer, polar bears, types of birds, whatever, there are few species that actually know the concept of death. Mm-hmm. And are aware of when, if you're a zebra or an elephant, where you travel in a pack, they are aware when a loved one dies. But most animals mm-hmm. aren't aware of that idea. So I want to ask for all the listeners, how do you think you'd treat one another or associate yourselves with other people if you weren't aware of death being a thing? Mm-hmm. Just think about that as we sign off for today. And Danye, Danye, we want to thank you for being here. This was amazing. I've done like a nice amount of interviews and podcasts and all of those things. And 
I can say unequivocally that this is one of the best. Oh, damn. (laughs) Oh, damn. (laughs) It truly was. Y'all came correct. Y'all knew what y'all were talking about. And y'all just created such a space of love Mm -hmm. and softness. Um, Mm -hmm. Y'all did it. Y'all did it. So thank y'all so much. And I'm excited uh, for y'all to continue doing the damn thing. Right, right. Amen. Oh, wait. So... So we want to give you this final chance, final seconds to just say what is there to come for you. I know Jay spoke about the play that you're writing now. If you just give us like a, some set 30 seconds details of what's what's to expect from you. Yeah, uh, quick 30 seconds. I've talked about Saw, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which will be premiering at uh, MCC in the near future. Um, I'm working on some screen things uh, right now. Um, and that's pretty much it on, and of course my like playwrights program provides them with HIV, which is continuing to grow and evolve. Uh, so those are the things that are like the most pressing and closest to my heart right now that I share. Right. All right. Perfect. And with the great, I am, my name is Malcolm Callender. I'm Will Aaron I'm Jay Mazak. And we want to thank you for such a lovely episode, episode four of through the mic. Take care, y'all. Peace, Peace out. Thank you. Good. Oh, good. God, <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll we'll fix that in post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank. Oh my. I can. Thank y'all so much. I'll forever be saying thank you to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was. It was amazing. Thank you so much. Like I. Like I said when we were recording, y'all. Y'all have something really beautiful, and I just pray y'all continue with it and just and just continue to do these amazing things and thank y'all for having me it was it was really a privilege yeah absolutely and you know will and i will uh, will myself and jay are all actors jay is also a playwright yeah. like dearly a, so a kick-ass one on like instagram that. yeah you, or like yeah. that much we're not going we're not going to spam you nothing like that but 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 know. like we'll we'll see you in the near future hopefully right. if if our paths cross so yeah we'll see what happens absolutely all right i send y'all so much love have an amazing day and thank y'all again peace and love all right bye y'all bye through the mic is hosted written and produced by malcolm calendar and will aaron front the show is mixed edited and distributed by gotham podcast studios our theme song is through the mic written and produced by Ibu Carell, and our artwork was done by Reed Oka McLaren with photography from Todd Estrin. If you like the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. Know someone you'd like to hear on the show? Send us an email at themikepodcast1 at gmail.com. Again, that's themikepodcast1 at gmail.com. Let's keep the conversation going. And as always, thank you for listening.